on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. The WNBA fan base is probably different enough from all the other sports teams' fan bases that I don't worry from our standpoint. I think our fans are our fans. We obviously want to grow them. But the WNBA has people following it that aren't necessarily just about the wins and losses. You get sucked into that, but how you're introduced to it is a little different. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 111 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I just want to take a moment to thank my guest from the last episode, Jake Gallen. Jake was kind enough to jump on the show for his second appearance to talk about the world of cryptocurrency, NFTs, and how it all relates to Las Vegas. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 110, Viva Las Crypto, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. The WNBA was founded back in 1996 as the women's counterpart to the NBA and started league play in 1997. Originating with just eight teams, the league has since grown to a total of 12 teams, one of which calls Las Vegas home. The Las Vegas Aces have been playing ball in Vegas since 2018, but their history goes back much further. And joining me for this episode of the podcast to talk about that and much more, is John Maxwell, the team's director of media relations. John and I sat down during my most recent visit to Vegas to talk about the team's arrival in Vegas and how they were received, what made the city an attractive market to the WNBA, the team's involvement in the community, and the Aces' passionate and loyal fan base. Please enjoy my conversation with John Maxwell of the Las Vegas Aces. We actually trace our lineage all the way back to the first year of the league, back in 1997. Uh, The Utah Stars were one of the first eight teams to enter the league, and they were in Utah through 2002 before moving to San Antonio for the 2003 season. And then just prior to the 2018 season, the October, November before, the team was sold to MGM, uh, who owns about a third of the strip here, major player, obviously, in Las Vegas. And uh, they brought the team up from San Antonio. So we've been here since 2018, but we've got a very deep, rich history that goes back to the beginning of the league. What was it that really made Las Vegas an attractive market for for the ownership and for the WNBA? Well, I mean, sort of a broader picture, once the gambling bugaboo was removed from the table and people figured out how to monetize it for the leagues, quite frankly, uh, they decided that Las Vegas was a great sports city. I don't know the people who haven't been here during major sporting events if they don't quite understand that. March Madness, which is where we are right now. Tens of thousands of people have been descending upon Las Vegas for years. 
the Super Bowl has about four or five times as many people come to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl than actually go to wherever the Super Bowl is being held, which will, of course, not be true in a couple of years when we host the Super Bowl. But slowly but surely, people were realizing that this was a fertile market despite the fact that it's got uh, a relatively small population. I think we're just a little over 2 million as a city, so it's not large by New York or L.A. standards, but it's always been a sports town, UFC. Boxing, obviously, huge things here. Uh, they've had great minor league teams, uh, the USFL teams. So there's been things here in the past, and then just all of a sudden the dam broke. You had the Vegas Golden Knights. The NBA had the all-star team here probably about 15 years ago now. Apparently it didn't go well. From what I understand, I wasn't here, but I've been led to believe that an NBA team would already be here had things not gone sort of poorly that weekend here in Las Vegas. So perfect setup for professional sports in general. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces and the WNBA in particular, uh, I think were a great fit for Vegas for a number of reasons, but the biggest reason was because Jim Murin, who was one of the top two people at MGM, was a big believer in women's basketball uh, and knew that it could be successful here. Without Jim Murin, I'm not sure that we're here. And once you bring a team here, having MGM's marketing behind it, once you bring in Bill Lambeer as the head coach and team president, you know you're going to have something successful. But it's really just been a sports-starved market, a market that could handle professional sports, as we've seen now with the Las Vegas Raiders in town, the Oakland A's flirting with coming here. But just all the stars aligned at the right time. No city has gone through what Las Vegas has in terms of adding sports as quickly as Las Vegas has added sports. And so far it's shown that they can sustain all of it, including this past two weeks where we had, I think it was five of the six West Coast uh, men's and women's basketball championships and college basketball were held here. It's only going to grow from here. How was the team received when, when it first came into Vegas? I mean, it's a, it's a market where you're competing with a lot for, for tickets. I mean, it, it's kind of a bizarre market where professional sports is competing with Cirque du Soleil. For, for attention. How, how was the team received when you guys arrived? Yeah, the team was received very well. Uh, I can't remember what our attendance figures were uh, the first couple of years that seemed so far away, 2018 and 2019, quite frankly. And of course, the past two years, we've had minimal capacity and then uh, a season that was wholly played out in Florida. Um, but received incredibly well. Like I said, it's a very sports-starved area. And Las Vegas exists purely to bring entertainment to this city to bring in tourists. Uh, it's the most collaborative city I've ever been in. The sports teams all help each other out. We've got a convention and visitors authority that works with all the teams. Pre-pandemic, we had PR meetings with just professional sports and entertainment people. So the Raiders were already attending those. VGK were in those, those areas. So it's, it's collaborative so it's not like you're fighting. We're all sort of fighting for this, a piece of the same pie, but not really uh, because the pie is bigger in Las Vegas than what it seems like given all the people who come to visit. If you're an NFL fan and you're a Giants fan out in New York, you fly in on a Friday, you watch the Raiders play the Giants Sunday at 1 o'clock, you take a flight back, you're in back home in time for work. Las Vegas is very unique in that aspect, and we've seen that Phoenix and L.A. being as close as they are that will get people traveling for weekend games to play us that might not otherwise. So, like I said, uniquely situated to be successful. And then the WNBA, one of the nice things, the players, uh, from my standpoint as a PR person, 
if you play through the American system, not an international player, your class, your college class, has to have graduated in order for you to play. So I get a more well-rounded person probably than somebody who was a baseball player drafted out of high school or somebody who was one and done on the men's college basketball side. You have players who play internationally, so they're very well-traveled. They've experienced other things. And it's also the money isn't flush in the WNBA, so the players still can fly a little under the radar, but also can embrace the community a little more and be out and about because, I mean, if LeBron James was in Vegas, he'd never get to go anywhere because he'd be swamped. Uh, and I've seen that even at, you know, at the Charlotte Hornets. Somebody like Anthony Mason, who was with us for years, would go to a comedy club and get heckled by the crowd when he's just sitting there trying to have a, a good time with, with everybody else. So, uh, like I said, uniquely situated to be able to be successful, and we've been really embraced uh, by the community. You mentioned that collaboration between the teams, and, and I find that really interesting because a lot of the entertainers that I've spoken with have said the same thing, how other cities where they've lived in L.A. or New York and had to work, um, it's a real cutthroat environment where you're auditioning. There, it's real competition. There's no, hey, so-and-so, uh, you should go talk to this person because they're they're holding auditions for such and such a show. So to hear you say that about the sporting teams here is really interesting, too. Is that different from anywhere else that you've been involved with the league? Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't speak from specific... Uh, examples, but if you think you think about a city like New York, the Knicks, owned by James Dolan, also own the Rangers. So I'm sure they collaborate on some things. They used to own the Liberty, but I just can't imagine them getting together with the Brooklyn Nets and doing anything. Yankees, Mets. I mean, it's sort of these cities are divided uh, amongst fandom. We're all fans of everything here. There's not that division uh, that you might have in other cities. Once again, because it was so sports starved for so long. Uh, and because you're bringing in fans from other markets, like that's the competition. We want Las Vegas to be successful. If you come in to see an Aces game on a Saturday, but you come in on a Friday, you're going to spend money at one of our hotels, one of our casinos. You're going to go see Carrot Top or Celine Dion or you know whatever you're going to see. There's so much else to do. So getting people here is sort of the goal, and then they can choose what they want to do. And Las Vegas over a number of decades has figured out what people want to do and, of course, how to monetize it and make it incredibly special for anybody who comes to Vegas. I guarantee you're going to leave with memories uh, given the showmanship nature of, of the city. So that's, that's why it's collaborative. It's because we're all in it together. We all benefit when people come in from out of town to check out any of our shows uh, or our sporting events, which is why we've now taken to calling it not just the entertainment capital of the world, but the sports and entertainment capital of the world. How did you guys stir up interest when you first got here? I'm assuming there was massive marketing and such. Did you guys um, get out and involved in the community? I know uh, that from my own experience watching what the Golden Knights did when they came out, they got out, they hosted clinics, they reached out to high schools and young kids and such. Did, uh, did the Aces do something similar to that? We did. The challenge for the typical WNBA team is when it's sold, it's sold immediately. So October, the announcement was made of 2017, and all of a sudden you have to have a team ready to make draft picks six months later or, or less. Golden Knights were an expansion team. They'd been selling season tickets for four or five years to prove that a team could work here. The Raiders knew for several years they were coming here and building uh, Allegiant Stadium. 
So it's a little unique when a team changes hands that quickly and you have to turn everything on instantaneously. From a marketing standpoint, that's why it was great having MGM as an owner. MGM knows how to market things. MGM, I mean, the aces were on. We drafted Asia Wilson, and her visage was on, you know, 12 different marquees on the strip, which is incredibly cool to see when you're driving down the strip. So from that standpoint, we were covered. But like I said, what's unique about the WNBA are those touch points where we're able to get out in the community a little easier and a little more frequently than other folks. So we had Mariah Jefferson, who was a four-time national championship uh, winner at UConn, was a member of the team at the time. We brought her in early and really tried to get out in the community as much as we could in a short period of time to drum up the support. I would say the other thing that's been collaborative here that you wouldn't necessarily expect is the media. I wasn't familiar with media in Las Vegas, but there's four TV stations. There's countless radio stations that are all incredibly close. And there's tons of sports talk radio that you can get on. So just the opportunities here even are different from a number of locations. If you're in the Los Angeles market, if you're not one of the big sports, if you're uh, UC Riverside, Cal State Fullerton living on the outskirts of L.A., nobody cares about what you're doing at the collegiate level. It's UCLA, USC, maybe football, basketball, depending on what's going on, but they don't have to cover you. Even the media here are collaborative. They all get along. There's not that I need to beat you to the story. It's, hey, I've got Mariah Jefferson, and we will go do every single show that we can because we want to spread the word. So that's what we did. We got out and spread the word as much as we could. Uh, The marketing dollars were obviously there. But it's really also then sort of educating people who may not have been following the WNBA, because why would you naturally, about what the history of the league is? And even something like the UNLV men's basketball team was a nice jumping off point for us, because they've had basketball success. This is a basketball town first. And even the UNLV women's program this year, great run to the conference championship. So it's all very much intertwined. It's all interconnected. Uh, here in Las Vegas, the way it just isn't in other areas. Coming up, John and I talk about the impact of the Aces purchase by Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis and whether pro sports in Vegas risks becoming a victim of its own success due to market saturation. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. You mentioned the collaboration between the teams, but obviously there's still competition. You guys are competing for a piece of the pie. With pro sports really starting to blow up here in Vegas, I mean, when you guys came, the only real game in town were the Vegas Golden Knights. Now you've got the Raiders. As mentioned, the the Oakland A's are talking about coming here. There's rumors about an NBA team floating here as well. Is there some concern over that dilution of the sports market here and that all of the sudden that that pie, there's a finite amount of it, it's cut into more pieces. You know, I'm sure there is at certain levels. The WNBA fan base is probably different enough from all the other sports teams' fan bases that I don't worry from our standpoint. I think our fans are our fans. We obviously want to grow them. But the WNBA has people following it that aren't necessarily just about the wins and losses. You get sucked into that, but how you're introduced to it is a little different. Uh, Social justice issues have come to the forefront quite a bit, particularly over the last two years, but really more uh, over the past seven to ten years where WNBA teams, particularly in Minnesota and New York, have really embraced social justice causes. 
and not that people are going to just spend money with you because of social justice causes, but that will put you on their radar of, hey, those people are supporting the same kind of causes that I support. I should go support them. And then once you attend a game, you realize how enjoyable it is, how inexpensive it can be, and how much fun it is. You're going to come back again. Uh, and that's also where the collaboration in the community helps out. We may not be ever a you know 8,000-season tickets out of a 10,000-seat arena, but groups are going to want to come out and enjoy themselves. That's why making those connections in the, communi- in the community are huge because Mariah Jefferson, back in the day, comes to your school, student goes home, mom, I'm at a four-time NCAA champion today. I don't know that there's many kids in many schools who can say that, considering there's only three of them in the history of college basketball who have won four championships. So that's a unique experience that a kid can have and then bring their parent to a game and fall in love with the game. Obviously, you want to get kids interested early. I mean, that's when most of us make our, our sports memories and hold on to teams. So getting out and being a part of the community from an education standpoint is one of our three pillars that we focus on in the community. Health, education, and then social justice are really the three things we try and focus on. And because we have that on lockdown kind of in the community, I don't think we worry about our audience taking a hit if some of those other sports come into town. And I also think Vegas is pretty good at gauging. They have been so far about what they can handle. Uh, so I'm sure they'll do, they'll do their due diligence. You don't want a baseball team that's going to be playing 81 games a year uh, to come into town without knowing that it's going to be successful. And I would imagine, too, a team like the Aces, you guys must have just a f- like ridiculously loyal fan base. Win or lose, they are there, and they are out there at every single game. Well, and that's another thing that we try to use to our benefit. To your point, it is a dedicated fan base. How can we use them in a targeted fashion we used to do a thing in detroit that i'd love to get done here we haven't been able to because of the pandemic and and just haven't really gotten it started but it was called tip a shock and we went to a local restaurant raised money for a community endeavor but basically all of our players and coaching staff would follow servers around bill lambeer rick mahorn would be behind the bar serving drinks and all the money i mean the people who are working obviously got their normal tips but we raise money for a particular location. That's an area where we're reaching out to our season ticket members and saying, hey, come support this. And we proved that we could move the needle in certain areas, much like radio. I constantly wonder, like, how does radio still exist in the modern era? But one of the reasons is you have a dedicated fan base for morning shows, and they show advertisers that, yes, we can drive people to your businesses, to what you need. And that's sort of what we've done. The best part about those Tippex Shock things was you had Bill Lambier, Rick Mahorn, a combined 13 feet tall and 600 plus pounds. Uh, Ricky was always the funniest because people would, he would say, all right, five bucks to ask me a question. They'd pay five <laughs> bucks, they'd ask him a question and he wouldn't say anything. <laughs> why, why aren't you talking? Oh, five bucks to ask me the question. Ten bucks if you want me to answer it. So people come off the hip for another ten bucks. So we raised a good bit of money that way for charitable organizations. Uh, and so it's that connection, once again, to the community uh, that the dedicated fan base can help us with as well. You guys got some huge news this year with Mark Davis buying the team. I mean, for those that aren't familiar, Mark Davis, I think even if you're not an NFL fan, you still know who Mark Davis is, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, comes in and, and buys the team, brings the Aces into essentially into the fold of the Raiders. I mean, how huge of a deal is this for the, the Vegas Aces? 
it's an amazing transition. MGM was obviously a great ownership group uh, as well. But whenever you hear a team might be sold, the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit because it's like, all right, the known versus the unknown. Uh, and all of a sudden you find out it's Mark Davis, who he and his father have been fans of women's basketball for decades. Uh, he was sitting courtside, had season tickets at our games, so you knew he was passionate about the product. And once again, like MGM, we've got the marketing power behind the Raiders' name and Mark Davis to be able to continue what worked so well with MGM and make changes. It's been a great learning experience for both groups because we get to see, all right, how does an NFL team handle things? I've gotten to know Will Kiss very well. He's the PR person for the Raiders, and now he's on speed dial for me when things pop up. Hey, how would you handle this kind of questions? And our marketing people and corporate partnerships people can all lean on each other. And then they, in turn, are learning about the WNBA uh, and how it works and what works well for us that may not be the way they do it in the NFL. So it's been great so far. We're only a year in. Last year was obviously kind of a lost year of sorts uh, since we started out just having season ticket members in the building socially distanced. So this is really our first year to turn it loose uh, and see what we can do. And so far, things have been going great on the season ticket front and marketing front. We're just three weeks, less than three weeks away from the draft. So we'll see how it all turns out. But so far, it's been a great transition, very smooth. And we've got a lot of talented people on the NFL side of things that we can uh, draw some inspiration and knowledge from. I would imagine the, the potential for crossover there is just fantastic. I mean, this is would be an opportunity to get the aces in front of the Raiders audience and, and vice versa, because I'm sure even if, uh, again, people that are aware of the, the everyone's aware of the, the Las Vegas Raiders, but aces fans might not have a real interest in it, but it's kind of that same thing where if you've got Raiders involved with the Aces, people like, hey, you know what? I wouldn't mind trying to do this or going and checking this out. So I, I, I assume you guys have got some plans for some cross-promotion. Well, absolutely, wherever we can. The challenge on the WNBA side is typically that during our off-season, players aren't necessarily in market. A lot of them go overseas to play. We've been pretty fortunate that we've had a couple in market for a good portion of this off-season. So we've been to it. We were in the fall at a number of Raiders games. We had, uh, I think it was three of our four Olympic gold medal winners were there with their gold medals and, you know, flashed on the Jumbotron. Even, shoot, I can't even remember how many weeks ago it was. The week right before the Super Bowl in town, we had the Pro Bowl on a Sunday and the NHL All-Star Game on Saturday. So we brought Becky Hammond in for the weekend. She had a brief break in the NBA schedule, and Becky Hammond, our new head coach. And she was at NHL All-Star, interviewed uh, on the TV set there. She was at the Pro Bowl, and we made the rounds. Uh, once again, collaborative. The NHL All-Star Game is not something we have a direct connection to, but the Vegas Golden Knights and Las Vegas wanting to support Las Vegas, we were able to have Becky there and, and do some really good things and start that outreach for her as she finishes up her season and makes her way to Las Vegas. And I understand Mark Davis is building, the Raiders are building a new facility for you guys. This is a practice facility and offices. How, how big is that for you guys now? So nobody in the league has ever had their own practice facility. So 26th year we're heading into. Back in the day, the first uh, economic model for the league was every WNBA team was owned by an NBA team. That changed in 2003 when the Connecticut Sun uh, moved from Orla came from Orlando and moved to Connecticut, the Mohegan Sun, also uh, a casino. But we all had access to the NBA uh, practice facilities, but 
NBA teams play into June if you're really, really good. So the first couple of months of a WNBA season, it never really felt like yours. This is going to be ours. It's going to have a couple of courts, to your point, all our offices. Everything will be there. It's going to be huge for the team to be able to work out there during the offseason. Right now, we've once again got a great relationship with UNLV. We use their practice, their facilities to practice some during the uh, preseason in particular when Michelob Ultra Arena, which is housed at Mandalay Bay, that's where we play our games and also practice more often than not. But that has things come into town, uh, big conferences that sometimes we're not able to practice there. Won't be an issue come next season once the, the building is complete. So we're all very excited to see it and move into it. And that opens up another uh, set of things that we can do in the community. We have access to those two courts. So there's no reason for us not to be able to have kids come and play on those courts during the off season and really take advantage of that to help spread the game of basketball. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about bringing in communities, events, and, and organizations to use those facilities. That seems to be a huge thing, and I've noticed it more here in Las Vegas, again, using the Golden Knights as their example, using the facility out in Summerlin that, that they have for hosting high school tournaments and things like that. So it's really cool that that's going to be something that you guys are able to do. And again, I'm assuming that's going to be an opportunity for players to be there, meet these kids, and, and the whole the cycle of creating more fans. Absolutely. And VGK, of course, had a bit of a tougher nut to crack because it's not like people were playing hockey in Las Vegas. So the opportunity to not just show people hockey but teach people hockey was huge for them. And they've done so many things right since moving in here. They really said the blueprint for the rest of the teams that have, have come into town. But like I said, Vegas is a basketball town. We've, they've always been a number of high school tournaments and three-on-three in the G League. It really is the, the center of basketball in many ways. So we're very primed to take advantage of that once that facility uh, becomes a reality. 2022 season, it's only a few weeks away, you mentioned. Um, this is going to be, I'm, I'm assuming, going to be a good season. You guys have had a, a a good last few seasons with uh, runs right up to championship finals here. And, and are, are you looking, hoping, I'm assuming you're hoping to build on all of that? You always do. And you, the, the key to particularly a GM role is you want to maintain that window of opportunity to win a championship as long as you can. And we feel like we're set up with our young players to do that. Uh, made the semifinals each of the last three years, the finals in 2020. Mostly behind Asia Wilson, league MVP in 2020. She was our number one draft pick in 2018. Uh, we've got Kelsey Plum, the leading scorer in NCAA history. Dierica Hamby, two-time sixth woman of the year. Chelsea Gray, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, and all those players uh, are back this year. Big loss for us, Liz Cambage, obviously a present in the middle. She signed as a free agent with L.A. But the rest of the team returns that has led us to those uh, playoff appearances in each of the last three years. The wild card, and we hope to think it's going to be a great wild card, is the addition of Becky Hammond. Bill Lambeer was obviously tremendous for this organization. Dan Padover, our general manager for the last three, three years, built a great team. But it's kind of exciting to see, all right, Becky Hammond's coming back to the WNBA. What is she going to bring? So far we've hired two assistant coaches, both with NBA pedigrees. What are they going to bring that we may not have, have had in the past? And I think the nice thing about this transition is Bill Lambeer has been on board the entire way. At the end of last season, he kind of went into management and said, look, I, I still enjoy this. I can do it for another year, maybe two, but he's 65 now, so his time's going to run out eventually. And he said, we need to start thinking about who the next coach is going to be. 
and whoever that is, let's bring them on as an assistant since we have some assistant openings, and they can sit beside me for a year and and learn the ropes, and we can then make a transition. And then Nikki Fargus, our team president, said, what about Becky Hammond? And Bill said, if you can bring Becky Hammond in, you, you need to do that now. Like, she needs to be the head coach now. So he was yeah. completely on board with it, has been tremendously helpful, particularly when it comes to free agency and bringing Becky up to speed on uh, what's happened the past eight years while she's been out of the league and who's who. Uh, we're actually trying to figure out how, can we, how we can slyly get Bill back to celebrate him because he's not somebody who likes the spotlight a whole lot. He likes to hang out in Florida and fish and boat and golf. Uh, but we're going to try and get him back here to let him know how much he's meant to the league. Uh, but now we get to see what Becky has in store. And the one thing we do know is we're going to shoot more threes because nobody shot less threes than a Bill Lambeer coach team in each of the fa- last four years. We've had great offenses, but they haven't been built around a three-pointer. So curious to see what Becky brings to the table. And I'm assuming, too, I mean, I know from my limited sports knowledge that coaching change always invigorates a team. And, and I know a lot of times there's a it's usually a coaching change after a losing season or after a, a losing skid. So to see a coaching change when a team is is doing well, how do you think that's going to invigorate the players this year? Yeah, I think it's it, there's no negative to any of it. It's nothing but positive stuff with this transition. Like I said, particularly because Bill was in favor of it. To your point, it was not a negative situation where we threw Bill out and brought in Becky Hammond. Uh, some of our players, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, who didn't go overseas, have already been in San Antonio working with Becky. Uh, so they've already worked with some of our assistant coaches. So the transition is already happening, and it can't help but be exciting. The last four years have been tremendous, but there's still a newness factor to having Becky and what she brings to the table, having played in this league, uh, having played at the two-guard position and also been a great point guard, uh, ball handler. She's going to see the game differently than somebody like Bill did, who was a post player. So it's going to be exciting all around to see how things work out. On the one hand, we can't wait for it to get here. On the other hand, it's like, wow, that's coming up really quick. Can we have another couple of weeks just to make sure we're all set? And the transition's obviously going to be a tight one because Becky is still coaching with the San Antonio Spurs. Their last regular season game is the 10th, and our draft is on the 11th. So she'll have very little time to, to switch the... Uh, change that switch from NBA to WNBA in her head, but we're all looking forward to it. When uh, does the season get underway? So draft on the 11th of April. April 17th is when training camp starts, and then May 6th is our season opener. We have always been, the WNBA historically, at the mercy a little bit of international basketball. That is the Olympics and what used to be the World Championship. Now it's called the World Cup. So during Olympic years, we frequently have to take a one-month break in the middle of our season so players can go play in the Olympics. Same thing with the World Cup, but the World Cup is later. It's in September, whereas the uh, Olympics were in August of last year. So rather than take a break in our season, we're starting our year much earlier. May 6th is the earliest it's ever started, and we expect to be finished uh, with with the postseason in September. First home game? First home game is on Sunday the 8th. Uh, it was originally an afternoon game. Now it's a night game because ESPN2 announced their schedule and picked it up. So our first home game will be live on national television where we will unveil the semi-new-look aces and see what Becky Hammond has in store. People want to get their hands on tickets. Uh, how do they go about doing that? Follow us at LV Aces on either Instagram or Twitter. And then the website is just LasVegasAces.com. A little more informational in nature 
uh, but we do link to a lot of stories that are written about the team. It's not just content that we're forcing out. We want it to be a go-to area for all things Las Vegas Aces. So LasVegasAces.com, tickets link, take you right there. Season tickets are now on sale, but group sales, single-game tickets, and flex plans will be available shortly. And you know, to anybody listening, Vegas is a great place to come hang out for a weekend, as you can well attest. So yep. don't just come for a game. Go out, have dinner, see a show and help contribute to our local economy. Once again, if you want to keep up with the Las Vegas Aces and what's happening in their world, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LV Aces. And for tickets, schedules, merchandise, and more, visit their website at lasvegasaces.com. Of course, you'll also be able to find these links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Walker New Media.